So let me just pray, first of all, and then we'll get started into Solomon. So, Father God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to come here every Sunday and, uh, and spend time with each other in fellowship, worshipping you um, and encouraging each other and living as we were supposed to live. Lord, I really thank you that your hand is upon what we do in this church. Lord, I thank you that you are blessing this church, that people are coming, that people are seeing what it means to be uh, part of your family. And Lord, it is just so exciting to watch as the church grows, as the church is full. Lord, I thank you for everything that's going on. And it's a real blessing to be able to come and preach. Lord, I thank you for this passage. And I pray that you would really help us to listen and understand um, and take applications from, from the life of Solomon and really grapple and, and, and come to know what that means. And I thank you for that, and I pray that in your name. Amen. Good. Well, if you could keep your finger in Deuteronomy, and also keep your finger in 1 Kings 10, and then turn to 1 Kings 1. Um, That's only three fingers, so, you know, you've got ten. So that's fine. Um, But we're going to be, I'm going to do a little bit of a quick overview of Solomon's life. 1 Kings 1 to 11. Um, and have a little think about who this guy is and what he did. Most of you will know who Solomon is and what he did. And I've entitled this talk, A Divided Man. Uh, depending on the type of what you, what you know about Solomon, you might think that that is either a brilliant title or a terrible title, depending on you know, what you know of Solomon. Uh, but hopefully, as we work through his life, you'll see what I mean by that. And um, the first question I want to ask you before we start is this. Have you ever done something that you feel is probably wrong, but you've done it anyway? Okay? You don't need to put your hand up and answer that. That wouldn't be appropriate. But you can be thinking about that as we work through this. It can be something spiritual. You know something is sinful, but you kind of feel yourself doing it anyway. Um, And sometimes Christians can have the experience of doing it again and knowing it's wrong and remembering the last time when they did it, but still doing it. Why is that? But it can also be something non-spiritual, just something that you know is probably not a great idea, but you just do it anyway. Um, Going for a nine-mile walk and then standing and preaching the next day. Maybe that wasn't a great idea. (laughs) That's what we did. Ben's 18th was uh, on Friday, and we went for a nine-mile walk. Um, and my legs are sore. So, <laughs> but there are different things that we can do, both spiritually and kind of just life, that are wrong. And we kind of have a sense this is probably not the best thing to do, but we kind of do it anyway. I, um, I was watching one of those really rubbish American cheesy sitcoms that are nowhere near as good as British sitcoms. Um, and there was an episode, it was How I Met Your Mother. Poppy's heard of it. Um, and, uh, and there was an episode which was all about people making mistakes, but they had to make them to know that they were their mistakes. And if they didn't make them, it would be a mistake, because they wouldn't have known the first one was a mistake. There was a lot of mistakes there. But that was the whole episode. And I think that resonates with people. They, um, that idea of, can I almost, I need to do this to know it's a mistake? If I don't, I'll regret it. So that's kind of, I want you to just put that to one side and be thinking about that as we work through the life of Solomon. Have you ever done something that you feel is probably wrong, but you've done it anyway? Okay, 1 Kings and chapter 1. We're not going to read anything, but you can follow this kind of as I'm saying it and just check that I'm saying the right thing and not just totally making anything up. Um, So who who was this man Solomon? 
Oh, I did have some slides as well, but I forgot my USB stick, so, yeah, that's sad. But they weren't very good. Um, so, who is this man, Solomon? Solomon was born to uh, King David and to Bathsheba. You'll have heard of Bathsheba. Uh, it wasn't uh, the sin of David and Bathsheba that kind of, Solomon wasn't the child from the sin, but um, if David hadn't sinned with Bathsheba, there wouldn't be a Solomon. Um, Solomon was the third king of Israel after his granddad Saul and then David and he probably reigned for about 40 years spanning kind of 970 BC to 930 you don't really need to know that but it sounds like I did some research so that's kinda, that was kind of Solomon's when Solomon reigned um, but right at the start of his reign there were problems with the succession at that time there wasn't a particularly clear kind of lineage, who was going to be king next. And David, at this time, you can read in verse 1, was old, advanced in years, he was decrepit, he was ill, he was dying, and he was pretty much lethargic to his kingly duties. He had no idea what was going on in his kingdom. And, um, and Solomon's kind of watching all this, and Solomon is God's choice for king, but David is just kind of not really aware. And this guy, Adonijah, Adonijah sets himself up as king, um, and he kind of, and people are kind of following him for a bit, and he puts himself out as king. And it's only really the godly actions of one of the prophets, a guy called Nathan, that kind of means that David kind of finally sits up and you know gets up and actually says, "No, you're not king. God says Solomon's going to be king, uh, and Solomon is crowned." Um, so you kind of get these kind of like little problems at the start. You, you wonder what Solomon makes of that as he's kind of watching his dad, you know, lying in bed, lethargic. Who's now who's going to be king? Um, so you get kind of these little problems with the succession and if you turn over the page we get Solomon kind of crowned as king Solomon kind of he becomes king and David gives him some advice you get father to son here's my advice I've been king here's my advice to you you're about to be king Um, and the first thing he says is pretty good Uh, I'll read it to you it's verse 2 be strong show yourself a man observe what the Lord your God requires Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements. So at the start, it's pretty good advice. Walk in his ways. That ends up being a theme in 1 Kings. People walking in God's ways. And, um, and being strong and sticking to the law. These are really important things. Uh, and David is right to kind of focus on them for Solomon. Uh, but then David goes on to give some quite strange advice. He says, you know, make sure you do all this, make sure you follow God, but make sure you kill this guy. I don't really like him. Make sure you get rid of this guy and get rid of him. He's, he, he was bad in my reign. And, so, and make, sure, yeah, make sure you bring his, this guy's grey head down to the bl- grave in blood because, you know, I wasn't a big fan of him. So you get some kind of weird... Like people people kind of debate this and people disagree over this, but you get David on the one hand saying... You know, honour God, follow him, walk in, his, walk in his ways, and then saying, but make sure you get rid of and kill these people, because, you know, if you don't, then that's going to be really bad. There are examples in the Bible of people kind of um, killing other people, and it's kind of God, God's behind that, and there are examples of that. But it kind of strikes me as a little bit of mixed signals from David. And I think Solomon's kind of just thinking, what's going on here? What's, what, what is my dad asking me to do? But he starts off very wisely. And he decides he's not going to kind of go and kill them all. But then when he realises that they do uh, pose a threat to his reign, uh, he does end up doing that. So I think he kind of acts with a little bit of wisdom. 
Um, and Solomon's rule, uh, as, a, as a course of kind of these people, his enemies being removed, Solomon's rule is established. There's peace, there's prosperity, and kind of everybody's following Solomon, and life is good. And um, one of the first things that Solomon does in the first verse of chapter 3 is he makes an alliance with Egypt uh, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And while this was an incredibly politically brilliant thing to do, we hear you know, of kings all through the ages in all different cultures making marriage alliances and you know, get, getting, getting on good terms with the superpowers of the day. Politically brilliant, but um, it was spiritually stupid. You know, we read in the Old Testament about how the Israelites should not go back to Egypt. Um, we read in, the, in those verses from Deuteronomy, don't kind of go back to Egypt. Egypt was a metaphor for the slavery. Obviously, going to Egypt is not literally wrong. We've been to Egypt twice. So, you know, I hope it's not. But going back to Egypt in those times for trade and all that kind of stuff was seen as kind of disregarding God's law. And Solomon, he does this so kind of politically wise but spiritually stupid. And that's why I have to question, have you ever done something that you kind of, is right in the world's eyes, but probably you know is wrong in God's eyes? Um, So, yeah, people disagree on that, but there's one thing. Um, And then, in chapter 3, we get this famous account, which you all have heard of, of Solomon uh, Solomon asking for wisdom. Um, So, yeah, God comes down and God says, Solomon, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And you're like, whoa, you know? God asked me that, I would have no idea what to say. Well, I would, because I've read this. But, um, you know, what, what is Solomon going to say? And, he, um, and Solomon's answer, I've always kind of just thought, Solomon's asked for wisdom, God, God gives it him, and then, you know, that's it. But actually, Solomon's answer is so godly and righteous, and, and, and he's so concerned with his people, he's so humble. It says there, you know, how... How can I, I'm only a little child, how can I carry out these duties of managing God's kingdom, God's people? It's very humble um, and very godly. He's concerned with God, with preserving God's kingdom uh, and with making the right choices. And you think to yourself, wow, he's, he's, he's starting off on a good foot. Um, and, and if you just go back a couple of verses, in it's, I think it's verse 3, we get this, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to his statutes. You could say walking in his ways. Okay? David walked in, in God's ways. Solomon walked in his ways. And, um, and that's great. That's so good. The marker of a good king, all the way through kings, is, um, you know, it, it, well, it's David, because David was a good... I don't know why we haven't done David in this series. I think everybody just thought someone else would. But, um, you know, David was, the, was kind of the guy who really honoured God. And all the other kings, they either walked like David or they didn't. And here it says Solomon did. But again, you get kind of an example of Solomon's kind of divided nature, his kind of split loyalties. Because you see, he walked as David did, but he offered sacrifices and burnt incense in, like, like on the high places. So a pagan kind of ritual. So you get, on the one hand, Solomon loves God, walking in his ways, doing the right thing. On the other hand, he's just still doing this little bit of sin over here, and no one knows. And you're thinking, what's going on? Um, I hope you're kind of getting to see that there's examples here of Solomon doing the right thing, and Solomon kind of just doing the wrong thing at the same time. Um, 
So we go through, we get this amazing story of Solomon's wisdom in which, in with the two prostitutes that come to him. And Solomon just displays a brilliant understanding of human nature. You know, most of us would think you would, you know, you'd just kind of look into their eyes and try and work out, you know, which one's lying and which one's not. Solomon just says, okay, chop it, chop the baby in two. And, uh, and, the, and, the, and he knows that the mother would give the baby away rather than kind of want the baby to be killed. So brilliant, I'm not really kind of going to talk about that too much, but brilliant understanding of human nature and a great example of Solomon's wisdom. Um, chapter 4 talks a little bit about Solomon's kingdom and the kind of what Solomon's kingdom was like. And eventually we reach chapter 5 and 6 with the huge decision that Solomon made to build the temple. Um, And again, as we read chapter 5, and you read Solomon's motives for wanting to build this temple, it is so pure. It's so holy. Um, He says like a number of times, I want to glorify God. I want to provide a place for my people to glorify God. I I want to build this temple. I want to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament about me. It's like Solomon knew the law and he wanted to honour God and serve God and glorify God. It is an example exactly of what a godly king should have been like. He he, he kind of really gets it. Uh, And when we get to verse 7, where this guy, Hiram of Tyre, king of Tyre, who Solomon traded with, uh, and he says, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. And you think, yeah, yeah. This is it. Solomon is Solomon, so wise and so godly. Um, and yeah. And then we have these kind of... Solomon builds the temple in chapter 6. And then you have two kind of strange verses at the end of chapter 6 and the start of chapter 7. Uh, the end of chapter 6 reads, uh, the eight, the, It was finished in the eighth month. It was finished in all its details according to its specifications. He had spent seven years building the temple. It took Solomon 13 years, however, to build his own palace. And you're thinking, wait a minute, seven years on God's house, 13 years on his own. Uh, you know, scholars disagree on this. Some people kind of can say that you know, Solomon spent as long as he could have done on his temple. And that, yeah, there's nothing wrong with kind of being wealthy and, and having a palace. He was a king. But I think there's something in there of Solomon's kind of dual loyalties, kind of split personality a little bit. So you're seeing this guy who on the one hand is honouring God so much and doing all the right things and saying all the right words and praying the right prayers and I think he is genuine. I don't think this is kind of like a fake religion and we're taught, you know, we're warned against don't be like him because it was all good on the outside but bad on the inside. I think what we get here is just a guy who is really trying to serve God but struggling with sin at the same time and there's kind of a dual personality thing going on Um, if you flick forward to chapter 8 we get the ark that's brought to the temple and then we get Solomon's fantastic prayer of dedication and I I would really I know we you know we say you know read this read that read this but this is a really really great chapter chapter 8 verse 22 onwards and it's Solomon's prayer after he builds the temple and he dedicates it and what an understanding he has of God, of God's majesty, of God's power, of people, and what people are like, of sin and how dangerous sin is, and of grace and forgiveness and how wonderful that is. 
You know, it, the prayer opens, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below, you who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. I would urge you, read this prayer, echo this prayer. It's such a great prayer and it's so honest. He says in, uh, in verse 33, he talks about when Israel have sinned, hear their cry and forgive them. So he recognises that kind of sin is real. He recognises that grace is real. And, um, and it's, it's a very gospel-centred prayer, even though Solomon wouldn't have known what the gospel was. Um, and you're thinking to yourself, how can we have this guy who is so kind of for it and yet kind of just missing it in other verses? How do we kind of equate those verses? Um, in chapter 9, God appears again. Um, uh, we, God appears the first time kind of to ask God him for wisdom and he appears in chapter 9 and I find God if I can say this God appearing in chapter 9 slightly odd because <laughs> if I can say that you know if someone's doing the right thing you don't turn up to tell them to do the right thing okay if someone's doing the right thing you, t- you say well done and if someone's doing the wrong, wrong thing you show them where they're going wrong and we get kind of this great prayer and then God turns up and says, make sure you do it. Make sure you kind of live it. Um, I've heard your prayer. I've, I've listened to you. Make sure you do it. Make sure you walk wholeheartedly. Make sure you follow my laws. Make sure you walk in my ways. So he echoes all the things that David said, David's advice. He echoes all the things that he said the first time he appeared to Solomon. And you just kind of think, what is going on in Solomon's life for God to step down and say to him personally, make sure you walk in my ways when we have a prayer like this? Is there some kind of divided stuff going on in his heart? Is he doing two things at the same time that seem to contradict each other? Um, yeah, so God arrives and says this and says, Solomon, whatever you do, make sure you walk in my ways. Um, in chapter 10, we get the Queen of Sheba. She turns up. She's amazed at Solomon's wealth, wisdom. It's all really great. And, uh, and she praises God because of it. You know, she, we don't know how genuine this is, but she praises Yahweh, the Lord, because of Solomon. Uh, and then finally we get to verse 14, which is where Dad read from. And verse 14 onwards to the end of chapter 10 is kind of the account of Solomon's wealth. And when you compare it with Deuteronomy, it's quite sad, really. Uh, The account of how much Solomon had and all those things. And then you get chapter 11, which is where we're really going to go. And if if there was ever the biggest killjoy of a chapter in the Bible, chapter 11 is probably quite a good contender. You've just had ten chapters of kind of Solomon, he's doing the right thing, you know, he's trying to serve God, he's building the temple, these great prayers, he's got wisdom, there's peace, there's prosperity, and then you get chapter 11. And you're like, no, what, what, what is he doing? It's like, it's like if it, I was thinking about this, if this was a film, if, if 1 Kings 1 to 11 was a film, 1 Kings 1 to 10 would be kind of joyful music, there'd be singing, there'd be dancing, and then you'd hit 11 and there'd just be nothing. There'd be no music, and the audience would just sit there and watch in silence, captivated at this like unbelievable fall from grace. And you're just thinking, how? It's like harrowing to read. I, I kind of 
briefly, very briefly, contemplated reading all of 1 Kings 1, 2, 11, and I thought it was a terrible idea. But um, you would get the sense of how you know, powerful 1 Kings 11 is when you compare it with the rest. Um, if we just read, you know, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods, after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And what happened? His wives, you know, helped him and assured him in his faith. They really built him up. Now, his wives did exactly what the Old Testament had predicted, exactly what God had stepped in and said would happen. They led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. He followed all these different gods, detestable gods. And then we get verse 6. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you're thinking, what? In in chapter 2, Solomon was following the ways of his father David and loving God and doing all these things and showing his love for his father. It was only a couple of chapters ago and we had the dedication of the temple and Solomon standing there and praying this great prayer. It was only like one chapter ago and God had actually revealed himself to Solomon and said, whatever you do, don't do this. And then you get Solomon does evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. Some Bibles say wholeheartedly as his father David had done. And you just, as you read this, you want to, it's hard to get it out in ten minutes, but you want to scream out at Solomon, why? Why are you doing this? And, um, and that's why I asked this question at the start. Have you ever done something that you think was probably wrong, but you did it anyway? And I think, to a degree, that was Solomon's kind of heart. Um, Solomon was if I can kind of get this right, Solomon was just a man, just a human. And like everyone else who has ever lived on the earth, Solomon was made in God's image and totally had so much potential to be such a godly guy. But he was also broken and fallen by sin and had so much potential to be very, very rebellious. And those two things are going on in Solomon's heart. Which is why you can get one verse that says Solomon does this, and then the next verse you say Solomon does this. And you're thinking, how do those two things go together? But actually, all of us are like that, aren't we? We are all made in God's image. We all have the capacity to be godly people. And you can see that as you step into the world. I'm not just talking about Christians here. I'm talking about non-Christians as well. Uh, We all, as we look into the world, can see that there is so much good but yet there's so much bad at the same time. So have you ever done something that you feel is probably wrong, but you do it anyway? Well, yes, because we know right and wrong, but we still kind of get torn by what's going on in our heart. So Solomon was a divided man. Um, a traditional reading of Solomon would just be that you know he was good at the start, bad at the end. And while that's true, that, that kind of... I think there's kind of more to Solomon than that. I think Solomon was probably just human all the way throughout. And, he, and there were examples of him honouring God and sinning all the way through 1 Kings 1-11. to 11. 
He was just a guy trying his best to be godly, but struggling and grappling with sin, just like us. So we, we, we've titled this series, Big People That Made Big Mistakes. We could have titled it Humans That Were Humans, but that would have been a bit of a rubbish title, so we didn't. But that's kind, of what, that's kind of what we're hoping to get out of this. These guys were just humans that were humans. They're like us. They're, 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 there's kind of that dynamic. And we have that dynamic. How many times have you felt in your heart, like, I know the devil on an angel on the shoulder is a cliche, but there's kind of your heart being pulled side to side. You, you want to follow God, but there's sin there, and, and you know that's wrong, but you're kind of struggling with it anyway, and you're like, why, why, why am I... Can you get that sense? Um, I hope that that resonates. So Solomon was a divided man. Um, but what was his biggest mistake? Um, this, this series is big people that make big mistakes. And what was it that Solomon did wrong? Well, you could say that Solomon's biggest mistake was he loved too many women. That's a fairly big mistake. And quite clear from the Old Testament, that's not the best idea. But I think there's more than that. You could say that Solomon's biggest mistake was following other gods. And that is huge, massive mistake. But I think there's kind of something even behind that. I want to say to you that Solomon's biggest, 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 huge mistake was to disregard what God says. Solomon didn't think that what God says was particularly important. Okay? So if you'll turn back with me, to, that's, that's why I went to Deuteronomy 17. If you turn back with me there. Um, Deuteronomy 17 is kind of this account of, of what a godly king should look like in God's kingdom. This is what a king should be like. And, um, and we'll see. Does, 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 Solomon, does Solomon fill it? Does Solomon tick all the boxes? Um, so in 1 Kings 17 verse 15 we get that the king should be one of God's choosing and the king should be an Israelite. Well, Solomon succeeds on both of those through no effort of his own. Um, he was one of God's choosing and he was an Israelite. So, two out of two so far. Um, the next one in verse 16 is not have lots of horses. There is reasons for that. They're kind of a little bit weird. But it's a, ver- it's a verse, it's a command in the Old Testament. A godly king should not have lots and lots of horses. Well, we get to chapter 4 of 1 Kings, you don't need to turn to it, verse 26, where Solomon, we're told, and in 1 Kings 10, um, verse 20-something, 26, we're told that Solomon had 12,000 horses and then 1,400 chariots. So, you know, we get this command and Solomon, you know, doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm, I'm good on everything else. It's fine if I have one too many horses. Um, we then get this whole idea of Egypt. Egypt was symbolic for the people of kind of coming out of slavery. Egypt was the place where kind of they, they, they were enslaved uh, and, and God brought them out of that. So going back to Egypt wasn't wrong in and of itself, but it was wrong because God said, I don't want you to trade with Egypt. I don't want you to go back to Egypt because I want you to remember what I've done for you. Um, and Solomon, while politically brilliant... Uh, opens up trade with Egypt. Uh, You'll have noticed that in 1 Kings 10 verse 28, where did Solomon's horses come from? Well, they were all imported from Egypt. Um, We get this marriage alliance with Egypt. We get trade. And you're thinking, Solomon knows this. Solomon's read this. He grew up in David's house. It wasn't like he didn't know what the law was. 
Um, in verse 17, we get don't have too many wives. That one's obvious. Solomon had 700 wives. Um, in, verse 17, in verse 17 again, we said don't be too wealthy. And Dad read it out in, uh, in chapter 10. Solomon had 666 talents, which is, my, my Bible says 22 and a half, 23 metric tons of gold every year. That's quite a lot. Don't be too wealthy. Um, we then get in verse 18, Solomon is told to write down a copy of the law um, and kind of you know, write that down and read it and have that by him and copy it out. Uh, we don't really, there's no kind of proof that Solomon did or didn't do that. But what that verse is trying to get out is make sure you follow the law. Make sure you keep this on your mind. Solomon probably wasn't keeping the law on his mind if he had all these things. And then you get verse 20, not consider himself better than his brothers. There are examples of Solomon's humility um, at kind of various points. But I think verses like 1 Kings 10 uh, are quite telling when it says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Uh, the whole world saw audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. What did he make of himself? He probably thought he was quite good. <laughs> if the whole world wants to hear him. Um, not consider himself better than his brothers. There's an example at the start when he says, um, he says, you know, I'm just a little child and then you get to the end and he's bigger than everyone. Um, and you're just thinking, what, what is going on here? Solomon knew this. Solomon knew the law. Solomon had all this in his hands. He could read this. He, David taught him this. And yet he just thought, nah, it's not for me. Uh, I very much doubt that the decision to disregard the law was, you know, one day Solomon sat down and thought, hmm, I don't really like this law. I'm going to just not bother with it. I, I very much doubt that that's how Solomon did it. I, I, I would imagine, just because... Solomon was a human and so am I, that it was more of a subconscious decision. That kind of, Solomon's kind of thinking, I'm sure there's somewhere in the Bible where it says not to have too many horses. But I can't remember where and I don't really think it matters. I'm doing quite well anyway. You know, there's lots of peace and there's lots of prosperity and, you know, everyone's really enjoying my kingdom and everyone's worshipping God and it's all going really well. I don't think God will mind if there's just one too many horses. He may have thought, you know, yeah, I'm sure there's somewhere in the Bible where it says we shouldn't have too many wives and they might lead you astray. But everything else is great, so I'm just not going to bother thinking about that one. Can you kind of see how the human mind would kind of do that? It's very easy kind of when we're sat in church to think, um, you know, oh, we would never do that. We, you know, we, we, I, I don't do that. But actually, it's so easy to think, you know, I'm just going to worry about that tomorrow. Or, you know, I, I've not read my Bible for a while, so I'm just going to, I'll just think, I'll think about that tomorrow. Or you read something in the Bible and, and, and you think, you know what, that's actually me, but I'm sure God doesn't mind because I do everything else great. Um, I don't want this to be a morality kind of sermon. Do this, don't do this. And we'll kind of come on that in a little bit. But there's definitely something in Solomon's life of a warning um, because this guy just thought it's okay to not, to do, not do what God says. It's okay just to disregard God's law. And, uh, and I think that is really, really, really sad. And when we get to what this horrible chapter of 1 Kings 11, it actually isn't that much of a surprise. You know, we get to it and we think, you know what, we saw that coming. You know, Solomon is this great guy, 
But we saw examples that he wasn't quite there all the way through his life. And that is really, really sad. So we've got a divided man, a divided king. We've got a divided decision, um, choosing subconsciously to, to disregard what God says. Uh, and what, was Solomon, what were the consequences of Solomon's actions? There are numerous times in the Bible where, the, where God says, if you follow me, there will always be a king on the throne and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So what were the consequences of what Solomon did? Well, true to form, a divided man made a divided choice and he left, quite literally, a divided kingdom. Um, we get this, you know, re- it, it's harrowing reading to carry on past 1 Kings 11. But you get the whole story of Solomon's son and what a disastrous king he was. You get the kingdom split. Whoops. You get the kingdom split um, and all the kind of the, the, the horrible stuff that went on there. And you can read the terrible, terrible, terrible kings in Israel, in the north, and the stuff that they did, the, te- the kind of mainly terrible kings in the south, in Judah, and the stuff that they did. And you can read of the, 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 the sin and the apostasy. Uh, and God just doesn't feature. Well, he does, obviously, in the Bible, but in the people and, 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 the, and what they did and what they said, God just isn't there. And how can you go in, like, 40 years from this guy who's serving to where is God? And you can read about the, 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 the few godly people, the prophets, who generally failed to kind of turn the people around. Um, generally the reading of the prophets is quite sad um, and you just think this man, this Solomon his legacy divided kingdom if, if only if only he'd just listened to God if only he'd just obeyed if only he hadn't pushed away that kind of God's law and thought I can do this on my own I'm not trying to say that Solomon is a bad guy there are so many examples in Solomon's life of being a, him being a good guy and I hope that that's come out as we look at his life. What, what a, it, it's hard to say. What a, what a godly guy Solomon was. But what a sinful guy he was at the same time. And that divided personality left a divided legacy. We talked last week when Kino was here about uh, a little bit about epitaphs. I don't even know how to say that word. Epitaphs. And, um, and what would Solomon's epitaph be? You know... I guess different people would say different things. They kind of, if you asked a, an Israelite, I think they would probably look back on history and say, the golden years, what a guy Solomon was. They, they, they were the years, they were the days before, ex, before we were in exile and, and before capture. Um, but I think probably an accurate, an accurate summary of Solomon's life would be a divided man making divided choices, leaving a divided legacy, which I think is hugely, hugely sad. Um, so what, can, what, what on earth can we learn from all of this? There's quite a lot there. I, don't, I, I seem to have done this when I preach. I pick these really, really complex characters and try and do it in a whole week. I don't know why I did Job. And I don't know why I'm doing Solomon, you know. But there we go. Um, so what, what can we learn from this man? You might be, like me, when I first looked at this, totally, completely and utterly confused. Was Solomon a good guy? Or was he a bad guy? You know, should we, often when you kind of hear Old Testament preaching, you know, should we be like Solomon or should we not be like Solomon? I don't know. Um, so there's kind of, you might be completely confu- confused as to where we're going to go with the practical application. But before we quite get there, I want to point to you, point you to someone 
who is the world's first real good guy. Someone who, if Solomon was a good guy, not a good guy, not a bad guy, just a guy, and if we are people that are made in God's image but grappling with sin at the same time, this guy was someone who came and lived the life that we should have lived, who breathed the air that we breathed, who was living in the same kind of way that we live, who lived in the same way that Solomon lived, but he obeyed the Father wholeheartedly. And he did everything that Solomon should have done. Um, In Luke chapter 11, verse 31, it actually says that Jesus was the greater Solomon. That's often the way to read these Old Testament texts. Jesus was the greater someone. And in this case, Jesus lived the life that Solomon couldn't and died the death that Solomon deserved for his sin. We read in Ecclesiastes of kind of a little bit of Solomon's remorse um, and people say that that was kind of Solomon coming back to God a little bit. But, um, but we see that Solomon was a man who probably wasted his opportunity. He didn't serve God like he should have done. Um, but Jesus reigned the way he, 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 Solomon should have done and lived the life that Solomon did. What, does, what did Solomon's reign kind of epitomize? Wisdom? Justice, peace. You know, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He's supremely just. He's infinitely wise. And, uh, and his death that he totally didn't deserve at the hands of sinners means that broken sinners like us and like Solomon, striving to serve God but struggling with sin along the way, can be secure in our relationship with him. And that is amazing. The Bible never teaches that, you know, Sin is inevitable and therefore grace, grace is there so we don't really need to worry about sin because we've got grace. The Bible never ever teaches that but Jesus came into the earth and stepped into the earth as a man, lived the way we should have lived and the way we should be living and didn't sin. He honoured the Father wholeheartedly and then died at the hands of sinners so that we could have a relationship with God and live as the way we were made to live. I remember being on camp one year and, uh, and something just really struck me. The guy, I have no idea who it was who was saying this. But he said that when God looks on us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. And he sees the, the, the sins that Jesus did, which is none. And isn't that just powerful? And when you think about Solomon and you, and you read in, Solomon, in 1 Kings 11 about Solomon's struggles and how he finally kind of gave in to those sins and those temptations... Jesus didn't. Jesus lived that life and died on a cross for us. And that that should make our hearts pour out in joy and in praise. Um, So I I have one practical application from all of that, which is pretty good, I think. (laughs) I think after all that, to come up with one, I think think is is a success. Um, So one practical application, but it does have a health warning, and that health warning also has a health warning. Um, so bear with me as I say this so my practical application is this do not I I don't really like ending a sermon by saying do not because I feel like that is kind of moralistic preaching but I think that um, in one kings there is a serious 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 warning to the people of today whatever you do don't disregard what God says that is huge um, whether it be in the Bible, whether you read something in the Bible and you think to yourself, you know what, this is, this is something that I'm doing wrong here, or whether it just be something that the Spirit is saying, the Holy Spirit is kind of 
metaphorically prodding you in the back and saying, you know what? This is not the way a Christian is supposed to live. When you get that, whatever you do, don't push that away. Don't think that it's okay to carry on living. Um, that, that, That is Solomon's huge mistake. He thought that it was fine to just ignore God. And, um, but it isn't. And I think there's a huge warning in the life of Solomon as we read it. Whatever you do, don't disregard the words of God. However, if you do, <laughs> there is grace. Okay? I, 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 there's a real danger if you ended your, your talk there and you said, whatever you do, don't sin. That everyone would go away and really, really try not to sin. And then they would, and then it would be, oh, and no one would come to church the next week. That, that, there's a real danger in preaching like that, because sin is real, and sin is hard, and we don't live. We live in a world where sin is, is, is kind of all around us, um, and that is tough. And we are people that are made in God's image, and we so want to glorify God, but we so struggle with that at the same time. I remember being a kid, um, I still am a kid, but you know, I remember being a kid and I would wake up in the morning and I would think to myself, today I'm going to really, really be a good Christian. Today's the day. <laughs> and you would get up and you'd go downstairs and you'd think, today I'm going to help, you know, help mum with all the dishes. And I, I'm, it's a Sunday, I might even go to the evening service. <sighs> you know, and I, you know, I'm going to really work hard. And then two minutes later, me and Ben would be fighting and we'd be punching each, punching each other and, you'd be like, and then you'd be sat in your room thinking, ugh, why did it all go wrong? <laughs> Such good intentions. I know that that's a silly example, and, but I, I think that that kind of idea of really wanting to serve God but finding it so hard is true to people today. I think that, I think that resonates with people. Um, so whatever you do, don't waste your Christian life. But if you do, then there is grace, there is, there is forgiveness. God is forgiving and there is a true good guy, an undivided person, fully God and fully human, a greater Solomon that died on the cross for our sins so that we can be free, liberated, not to sin, but from sin, to serve and glorify him as we were made to do. So whatever you do, don't sin. But if you do, there is grace. And we'll finish with this. Is there any other passage in the Bible that that kind of reminds you of? Just see if you're listening. Any ideas? Don't don't sin, but if you do, there is grace. I'll tell you. If you turn to 1 John, chapter 2 and verse 1, I think, I I kind of, I've tried to put it in my own words, but it's nowhere near as good as John. So um, we'll just read John, rather than me waffle on. Um... 1 John, chapter 2, and verse 1. John has just been talking about the importance of walking in the light. He's just been talking about the importance of not sinning um, and making sure you're not deceiving yourself into thinking you're not sinning when you really are. So, you know, and John's language is, he doesn't mess about. He's very honest with the people. John could have just grabbed Solomon and said, in light of all this, guys, my dear, dear, dear children, chapter 2 and verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That, 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 that's what John is saying. He, he wants the people to not sin. He doesn't want them to go on sinning, living a life that is, 
that is not right, that is dishonouring God. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But John puts it brilliantly. But if anybody does sin, if anybody in their, in their striving to, to, to serve God makes mistakes, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And you think, could you put that any better? Could you put that any better? Whatever you do, don't sin. But if you do sin, God is a forgiving God and loves you and will wipe your slate clean. And when God looks on you, he will see Jesus. I think that is really, really powerful. So there's my health warning to my health warning. Uh, That isn't liberalism. It's not freedom to go and sin. That's not what grace is. The Bible never teaches that. But it is, it is so exciting to know that, um, that God loves us and God cares for us. And when we make mistakes, he forgives us and allows us to carry on doing our best to live for him. Um, Solomon's life, there's so many things that I could pick out from Solomon's life. You could preach just so many different sermons. I don't know why I'm doing it in one. But Solomon's life is a huge warning to make sure that we don't disregard the words of God. It's a huge warning. Whatever you do, don't disregard the words of God. It's a huge challenge to live life properly. We want to be a church that is is on fire for God. We don't want to be a church that's kind of lethargic. We don't want to be a church that's wasting our potential as a church. We want to be living our lives properly within the church. But Solomon's life is also a huge encouragement to know that God forgives, that God cares for us, and that God loves us and, uh, and, will, and will, will forgive us when we do things wrong. So I hope that that rings true. A bit boring. <laughs> I hope that that rings true. I hope that that makes sense. I hope that you think to yourself, wow, that, that, that really resonates. That is the way that humans are. That is, we have this thing in our hearts where we're torn. But, the, but that, in the light of the Christian gospel, that makes sense. So I hope that that makes sense.